0: Welcome to episode number 204. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about raised beds. So using raised beds in your garden can be a great option, but it's not for everyone and nor does it need to be used in every single gardening situation. So we're going to dive into some detail there. First off, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. I am so happy that you are joining me. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, and this is where we give you inspiration and not just inspiration, but tips and tricks to live a homegrown and handmade life using modern homesteading to raise, preserve, and cook your own organic food no matter where you live. Now, if you are listening to this episode as it airs, which is October 4th of 2019, then you, my friend, still have time to get in on all of the goodness going on with the Organic Gardening Workshop. It is a free workshop. It's going from October 2nd through October 7th. So you still have four days to catch all of the awesome presentations totally for free that all go around raising your own organic garden at home. So like I said, if you are tuning in on the day that this episode releases, which high five, because that likely means that you are a subscriber. And thank you so much for subscribing. But just to give you a little snippet of what we are sharing in today, which is technically day three of the organic gardening workshop, we've got a video lesson on microgreens. We actually have a part one and part two. So how you can grow microgreens indoors for a renewable food source all year long, but especially in the winter months when most of us, if we have a cooler or, you know, shorter growing season, the winter months, we're not able to grow a ton outside. You can grow microgreens inside and you don't even need to have a grow light to have fresh greens in as little as 14 days, sometimes 21 days. We're also talking about sprouts. So if you want to talk about getting a fast crop of fresh food on the table, you guys, sprouts, three days, no dirt, no grow light. All you need is a mason jar, your seeds, and some water. And you will have fresh sprouts to eat on salads and sandwiches, however you like to eat sprouts. My favorite is in a salad and also on top of a sandwich or even just open-faced toast. Love sprouts. But seriously, they are ready to harvest from start to finish in three days. It's pretty awesome. We're also going to be talking about winter sowing as well. And then today's topic, which I am going to come back around to, I promise, which is raised bed gardening. We are going to have a full video presentation on that. And that is going to be on day five, which is actually going to be Sunday, October 6th. You'll get to catch that presentation on raised bed gardening, which is pros and cons and options, and actually walking you through constructing them, soil tips to use in your raised beds, as well as picking the best spot to build them to avoid timely and costly mistakes if you have to move them. So, that presentation is going to go down on Sunday, but to catch all of these, and that's just a snippet, you guys, we have got so many amazing videos to watch. I know I sound like a commercial, which I kind of am, but it's just because it's so cool. And I'm the one that's not because I'm the one that's putting it on that came out weird. But because I am hosting it, myself and five other presenters are doing all of these for free to help you grow and raise as much of your own food as possible, no matter what space you have, or your growing client, we've got tips that are going to help you be able to grow something no matter what. So Go get your seat at com forward slash garden workshop. And then of course, you can hit the episode show notes. We'll have it the link for you to sign up to register to catch all this goodness going down with this workshop there as well. And then to get links and if you actually want to read for whatever reason, you want to go and read the blog post or you want to catch links that we talk about in today's episode and resources, further resources. You can snag all of that at the episode blog post, which is at molliskanorris.com forward slash 204, because this is episode 204. Okay, now that I got that out of the way, we are seriously diving into raised beds. So we're going to be talking about the benefits of raised beds, what property conditions, so how you can analyze your soil and your property, your yard, that would be beneficial or would be a good idea for you to put raised beds in, which crops are best suited for raised bed gardens, which are best suited for in-ground garden beds. In fact, I don't think I know that you are going to really love today's episode. So my guest today, because I totally have a guest, is Jill McSheehy from the Beginner's Gardener podcast. And so we are just going to go straight to that interview right now you guys, I am really excited for today's guest. I have been on her podcast a couple of different times and have learned so much from her and love her approach to helping others grow their own food. So Jill McSheehy, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Melissa. As you know, I have been a longtime listener and you were in my earbuds, my very first garden. So it is such an honor to be able to be here with you.
0: And that makes me so happy because I love doing the podcast and I am a huge podcast listener. I'm like a podcast junkie. I've learned so much from different podcasts. I fill in all areas of my life. But there's one thing, listening to a podcast, which I do love to do it for entertainment purposes, but it's another when you actually take the information and you begin applying and taking action and doing it. So I am just honored that steps and things that I gave to you that you were able to actually implement. And now you are growing a ton. So how many years now have you been gardening so that the listeners know? This is my seventh year. So have you really been doing the podcast for that long? Or am I getting my years mixed up? Oh my goodness. You know, it first started as a radio show actually. And then I took those episodes that were from our little tiny local radio place because I had people who were wanting to listen into them and the broadcast is just local. So, and there was no online access it might be close to that because I think I started it in 2012 or 2013. So yeah, it would be right around probably then. One was my first
1: year in 2013. So this is my seventh year.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. I guess the podcast has been around that long. Holy Toledo. I didn't realize that. <laughs> That's awesome. You're old now, huh? Like when yeah. your kids are growing up. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I feel old. I'm like, oh, how did it turn seven? That's crazy. But one of the things I'm actually excited about because you have been growing for seven years and it's been so fun to watch Oh, and how much you've learned. And that's the thing with gardening. I don't care if you are seven-year gardener, if you're a second-year gardener, or if you're like me, I've been gardening alongside my parents since I was a baby, but on my own is going on 20 years of having my own garden. I still learn things every single year. And there's new challenges and you get a lot of confidence under your belt in some areas. But I always I feel like gardening more so than probably anything in the homesteading realm. Every year you're learning something new and facing a new challenge just because everything is changing so much with a garden because you can't predict the weather, obviously, and different things. So the topic that we're gonna be talking about today is actually an area that you have more experience in than I do when it comes to gardening. And so I'm kind of excited to talk about this subject because it's not a favorite of mine and it's a favorite a lot of people's. And so I'm not sure if it's because I'm doing something wrong with it or if it's just where our homestead and our ground and climate and everything is just not as conducive and so the other ways of gardening do better for me. What we're talking about today, I'll quit talking and being all like mysterious and leading you guys into it, is raised bed gardening. I also want to talk about too, because a lot of times I see where people will kind of use container beds, larger container beds, and the term raised bed gardening, and they'll kind of use it intermittently. So when we're talking about raised bed gardenings, are you talking about bringing in new soil where it's completely enclosed in a container, or is the soil that you're putting in the raised bed still going down into the ground without a barrier?
1: The answer to that is it could be both. Now, when I think of a container garden, I'm thinking of something that is sitting on rocks or it's even very tall. But the raised beds that I'm talking about is more where you're sitting a frame of some sort on the actual ground where it's not completely enclosed, where the roots of the plants do have a chance to be able to grow down into the actual soil underneath. So that's what I have more experience with.
0: Okay, good. And that's my term. And when I'm talking about raised beds, that's exactly the way that I talk about it. But I've seen the term kind of loosely used and sometimes people will refer to what I consider a container garden. I consider a container garden where the plant doesn't get to go all the way down into the natural ground, but there's a barrier of that container. So I just want to make sure that we were talking about the same way there. And so that's what I think of with a raised bed too. So with the raised beds, what do you feel like is the benefit of doing a raised bed rather than just using the ground that you have and amending the soil say with compost or different types of amendments just in an in-ground gardening that's just the soil there that but that we haven't raised it up what's the benefit of doing the raised bed yeah that is such a good question and
1: i can tell you because i do both if anyone's ever seen like a bird's eye view of my garden my husband bought a drone one year and I said, the only way that I'll be okay with that is if you use it to take pictures of my garden. (laughs) So if you follow me on Instagram, you see a bird's eye, you will be able to see that I have both. So I feel like I can be able to tell you observationally the benefits of both methods. And there are so many benefits to raised beds. And that's why I keep adding more to my garden each year. But I think the biggest benefit is that you can control your soil better because. You can control what's in that space and you can control it quicker. For example, if you don't know what your native soil is, or maybe your native soil like mine is extremely clay or the opposite, could be very sandy, you can amend that native soil over time. And I'm doing that with my ground beds, but it's taking years. So if you want to be able to have a more productive harvest quicker, especially if you don't have the ideal ground to start with, then a raised bed would be perfect. And another thing is that there's no compaction. If you're building your raised bed at the proper dimensions, you're not walking on that ground. And as I'm learning, the more compacted soil becomes with our walking on it, the less healthy it is. It needs that oxygen, that aeration. For a lot of the microbiology in the soil to work well. So you don't have the compaction because you're not setting, you're not standing on the soil. And then when you're watering, I don't know about you, but when you're watering, you can get that water directly to the plants, whereas you don't want to water water the pathways, you know, or water the weeds. You can get the watering, you can get the fertilizers, everything that you want to use directly to the plants, and you can be more efficient that way. And then I think the biggest benefit for me just in observational in my own garden is generally I get a greater yield per plant when I'm using raised beds compared to my in-ground soil. And like I said, that does depend on what kind of in-ground soil you're working with, but I personally get a better yield that way.
0: Okay. And I love that. And I think right there is the distinction for me because I have tried some raised beds in the past. And when you're doing the raised beds, there is a little bit of an at an expense because usually as long as the soil depth that you're raising it up, if it's more than I would say four to six inches, you're usually going to have to put some type of barrier. It can be rocks, it can be boards. I mean, there's lots of different materials that you can use kind of based what you have on hand and what you've got in your budget. But to kind of hold that soil in place for the raised bed, usually you have something that's going to help and it's not just a mound of dirt, especially if you're doing a little bit depth. And we're really blessed here where I lived in the Pacific Northwest up in the foothills. And so we have just naturally really good soil. So I do add compost and I'll add some different fertilizers based on what I've got for my livestock. So, you know, I'll add chicken manure in there and I'll do composting and sometimes manure from the cattle and that type of stuff at different times of the year. But our soil is really great. It's really loamy. It has good aeration. Like you said, air is definitely important for your soil, both when you're doing composting and then just your regular soil when you're growing. So I think for me, because my soil is already good and I'm not having to do a ton of work to it, and I do get good yield from it because it's not super sandy and we don't really have a lot of clay soil, at least where my garden bed is at, that when I did the raised beds, I felt for the amount of work that it included and the extra expense to do them, that it wasn't worth the payoff, that I got the same payoff pretty much for my in-ground gardening. So I think that's a great, I'm really glad <laughs> that we talked about that because I think it's a good distinction is knowing what soil you have and what you're working with, what your native soil is, and then deciding which type of bed is going to be best for you to get you the best yield kind of right off the bat. So thank you for walking through that.
1: Well, and I think too, in addition to knowing what kind of soil you have, also taking into consideration what your climate is like. And we have gotten a lot of rain this year last year. And I know you get a lot of rain too. Like I said, you may have, have perfect soil that can handle that. But sometimes our soil, especially being such clay content, gets so saturated, our plants have trouble not drowning. So if you live in a place where you have so much rain The raised bed can help with that because it helps with the better drainage. Then, on the opposite, if you live in a drought-prone area and you really don't need that—that water evaporating so quickly or or draining so quickly—raised beds may be something that you know might not work so well for you. So, I think it also depends on your environment too and your rainfall.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think it's important to note too that usually, even with gardening, that not everything works the same way for everybody. And oftentimes, like you're doing both, you've got raised beds and regular in-ground. I do do some container gardening. I have a large portion of our garden is actually in-ground. I have done some raised beds in the past. I do do some different raised rows and that type of thing, but it's usually a combination. So I try to stay away from those absolutes. Like some people swear like, well, the only way to garden and to get a good yield is you have to do raised beds are completely the way to go. But as you're saying, it really depends on your climate, your soil. Like there's so many things to consider. So I think race beds are a great thing to consider. And I think a lot of times they make a lot of sense, but it's not just this like blanket statement. So I'm really glad that we're kind of diving into this. And I feel like I'm a little bit more highlighting the cons just because they haven't produced the best for me in our area and with our climate, but they've done really well for you. So I think this is great because we're really coming at it from both sides. So that people can really get a good picture of when it's appropriate to use them where they live and when it might not be the best option yeah i definitely agree with that so we definitely have talked about looking at some of your soil conditions your climate conditions um, and that type of thing and some of the benefits that we mentioned which was you're not compacting the soil Um, watering can sometimes be easier depending on the type of watering that you're doing Uh, What do you feel are some of the other benefits of putting in a raised bed?
1: You also can look at your lifestyle. And I know we're talking mainly to homesteaders. So the homesteaders may have more time, so to speak, than someone who's trying to tackle and, and squeeze it into their already busy schedule. Not that homesteaders aren't busy. Obviously, we always are. But if someone's starting with a brand new garden and they just want something little that they can tackle... I have found that the just the general maintenance and the upkeep of the raised bed is so much less especially if you're good at keeping mulch on the raised bed the weeding is very very minimal and just in general the upkeep of a raised bed is less work than the upkeep of my ground beds and just speaking of, of time I did I did mention like beginning gardeners that might not have a lot of time to spare As someone who, and I wouldn't consider myself a homesteader, but I do do a lot of canning and preserving and I have chickens and I guess I'm kind of the middle of the road, I need that extra time for the other activities such as the preserving and all of that. So it does take time um, out of my, my gardening chores because my raised beds do not require near what my ground beds do in terms of weeding and maintenance.
0: Okay, so I have to ask you: How many years have you had your raised beds in? And probably the one you've had in the longest? How long have you had it in?
1: Well, I told you that that I have been gardening for seven years. Well, the year before that, my husband built two raised beds because he was the one he wanted to start growing things. <laughs> and I wanted to do with it but those two raised beds we still have so that's their 8th year and we've actually moved them too and they're still doing great so technically i guess 8 seasons
0: okay and the reason that i asked that is because we did a large raised bed and i know that there was a few issues with that raised bed so we did a large raised bed in the front, in the in the middle of our yard and put in this really large raised bed when we first moved on to our homestead property, which was, oh goodness, how many years ago has that been now? Like 12 years ago. And so the first couple of years with that raised bed, I felt like the maintenance was less, that there was less weeding, it was less work, like all the things that people love about raised beds, it, it's at, at that increased height. So if bending over is a trouble for you or if you have trouble you know getting down to ground level that can be a thing that raised beds can definitely come into play and make that a little bit easier but over time and I did keep it mulched we had wood chips on it over time i felt like that the weeds became the same level as other gardens that i had where i had mulch on them i really didn't feel like the weeds were any Less after about three to four years, I felt it was the same level of weeds. So when people say that they have less weeds, I'm like, man, was I doing something wrong because I didn't feel over time. I felt that the weed level was the same. So that's why I was asking how many years you had had yours in because I didn't experience really less weeds after a certain amount of years had went by than I did in my regular in-ground beds. So, but you've had yours in for quite a few years, so and that wasn't the case for you. Maybe I'm just a Special case when it came to raised beds. (laughs) I can't say that they've
1: all have been wonderful. In fact, I just completely cleared out one of my raised beds that got overrun with Bermuda grass. And that was because the native soil that I put in it was in a place that apparently had lots of Bermuda grass. So I think a lot of that does depend on what soil that you are starting with. Are you starting with a native soil that might have weed seeds already in it? And also, like you said, the mulch, but but I have found with my raised beds, if I can keep it mulched and then if I can, I've also started doing some cover crops in there that has also choked out the weeds. I think that that helps, but I do think what kind of soil you start out with does make a big difference on if some of those perennial weeds and grasses end up showing back up in the raised bed.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And we used the same soil that we had, like our native soil, when we did the raised bed and then put the mulch on it. And so, of course, that's why I'm sure that the weeds felt that they were the same in our regular in-ground as they were in the raised bed that had mulch because it was the same soil and same situation. I just had one that was raised up. So I think that's a great point. And in your presentation within the Organic Gardening Workshop, you really dive into talking about the soil And how important that is and the different ways that you can ensure that you're using good soil to avoid a lot of the problems that we're talking about here in this episode. I think that's really an important thing to note is what you're putting in. And the cover crops and the mulch really do help cut down weeds, both in raised beds and the regular in-ground gardening, just because birds and then the air that's carrying, you know, dandelion seeds and all those fun seeds, they land on top of that mulch and they don't have a good of chance of getting down to the actual ground and sprouting and taking root. So mulching definitely helps, I would say, no matter what type of bed you're doing, raised container and or in ground too. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I want to ask though, because I think this is going to be important in looking at your land when you're deciding where to put your raised beds, is why did you move those two raised beds that you initially put in? You said that you had to move them. Was it because they were in an improper place or you decided you needed to put some type of infrastructure where they were originally? Or what did that look like?
1: Yeah. Okay. So this is a lesson in knowing your land. And I know you have talked about this before, but that very first season I planned, my husband had put those two raised beds in place very close to our house, and I had planned my entire garden to be an extension of where those raised beds were, both with adding new raised beds and using the soil near that. But what I found out that first year is that that was the lowest place on our property, and our ground that spring was saturated and nothing would grow. So, probably about maybe April or May we decided to completely scrap. Well, I I still tried to grow in it. It didn't work very well, but my husband took a tiller to an opposite side of the property and tilled that up so that my dreams weren't dashed before they (laughs) even started. And we grew a garden in that area. So basically my garden was fragmented. I had one, one area close to my house and another on another side of the property and maintaining both of those areas just became too much. And also those raised beds were not protected. My husband ended up building a fence around my new garden area and I just decided it would be easier to move them, which I don't necessarily recommend. I mean, we did have to do some repairs to that because they were old raised beds, but we decided to move them all into the protected area of the fence, both for protection against uh, wildlife, but also just for ease of watering and maintenance to be able to maintain it all in one place. So that's the long answer to just a very you know, a very short way, the reason that we moved them.
0: Yeah, but it's important and I'm, I'm glad that we talked about it because evaluating your property and knowing what your microclimates are within your property, which don't worry, we have a full in-depth video on that inside the organic gardening workshop that you guys will be able to watch during the free preview period. But it is super important to know how the water drains on your property and those areas so that you don't have to move them. The good news is we did that with our orchard. When we first planted our mini orchard, we planted them, we got bare root trees. And so we were planting them kind of the end of winter, like super early spring. And it was before all of our maples and some of our alders had leafed out. And so at that time, they were getting a full six plus hours of sunlight, albeit weak sunlight, because it was wintertime. But I didn't really look at the way the sun would change in the summertime and the direction it would come from and think about all of the trees being leafed out. And so we ended up having to move, I think it was six of our, basically the entire mini orchard that we had planted. We ended up having to move them the following year because during the summer months, they were in shade the whole time and they were never going to grow well or be able to, the fruit wouldn't be able to ripen on them. So that was like you, that was a a good lesson for me to learn early on. But had I known how to properly kind of evaluate my land and to look at things, I could have avoided that because moving them, they all did make it. But it definitely set us back an entire year on fruit production, just because the roots had to completely reestablish themselves and get you know good before they could really start to to grow again. So that's a great point. Is definitely know ahead of time the low areas and the high areas, because again, if you're in a drought area, you don't want your raised beds on top of an area that's already high, and so any rain you would get or runoff, um, it's going to be moving away from them. So really good. Good point. Um, And do you guys have your, it fenced for deer or other critters or is your, it sounds like you probably have a deer problem if you're fencing. That's why we end up fencing most things is to try to keep the deer out.
1: Well, we have deer and rabbits and rabbits have been the worst, but we do, we have, we finally I shouldn't say this out loud. This year, we finally figured out something that would keep them out because they kept figuring out a way to get around it. But we do have lots of deer. They have never gotten in the garden since we built the fence. So that was initially the, the thing we thought was the main thing, but then the rabbits do.
0: Okay. So now I have to ask, because you said it, what's working for you to keep the rabbits out? <laughs> well, my husband is
1: very good at coming up with infrastructure. Like He doesn't touch my garden but when it comes to things like infrastructure he does really good so he ended up doing uh, the bottom layer of the fence is actually rabbit fencing and then above that he has two electric electric fence lines and so the electric fence lines are to protect from deer and then
0: the rabbit fence protects the rabbits Awesome. Yeah. I've heard, you know, hard cloth and barriers. I've, sometimes I feel so bad because where we happen to live in our little pocket, we don't have any wild rabbits and we don't deal with squirrels. And sometimes I feel bad for saying that because I know so many people battle with them. Now we do have a lot of deer. Uh, we have gophers, we have mice, you know, we have other critters that are, are not friendly to the garden and, and can be a pain, but we don't have to deal with the rabbits. Um, so- sure. I know I hear it. I hear it. And I'm like, and people, yeah, I get so frustrated. I don't blame them. Um, But I'm glad to hear that the rabbit fencing and doing some of that kind of that hard cloth, hard fencing down towards the bottom is keeping them out. So yay that you guys get to harvest it and not the rabbits and the deer. I don't mind sharing, but only when I want to share with them and not when they come in and make a buffet of it. (laughs) Especially when it's the
1: seedlings, because that was just setting my whole garden back when they would come and eat my bean seedlings. In fact, I, w- I told you that I planted your pole beans. Yeah, <laughs> I've ate them all, and I didn't have any more seed, and so I didn't get to test oh. them until they it in my garden. I was so mad at them.
0: Okay, I'll have to send you another. I'll have to send you another set. Um, I don't have any right now. My the time of this recording, we're in August, and so the garden's going full. I'm harvesting beans to can right now, but I don't have any seed beans until later in the in the summer. So I'll have to set some aside and and send you some. <laughs> So that you can, now that you know the rabbits won't eat them, so you can try them next year. Yeah. Yeah. So back to really quick, I know we're getting towards the end of our time here, but when it comes to your raised beds, especially if you are doing dual, where you're doing raised beds and regular in-ground, in, excuse me. In-ground gardening as well, what do you feel are crops that are better suited to raised beds and what crops do you then select to put into your regular in-ground gardening?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I do, but I will tell you that that's a really hard question because there aren't very many crops that I have found don't do well in raised beds. Almost all of them do. There are some that I still prefer to grow in the ground, but that doesn't mean that you can't grow them in raised beds. But the ones, to answer your question simply, that I love growing in raised beds are tomatoes. Um, mainly my aromas, I like growing those in raised beds more, whereas my indeterminate ones that grow a lot taller, I tend to put those in the ground. But that's just a personal preference because of spacing issues and, and how I stake them and all that. Um, but my aroma, tomatoes, uh, peppers grow really well in raised beds i think part of that is because the soil does warm up quicker and peppers love the heat so they do really well squash does i think part of that is because i can make sure that the soil fertility is really good with squash i've also had good results with broccoli in the fall and then carrots onions of course all my garlic goes into raised beds because we have that clay soil and and it does better for me that may be something for more northern gro- growers, though, to consider because raised beds do tend to, it's going to be a little bit of a cooler microclimate micro in the winter time. So if you're worried about them freezing, that might be something to just look up or maybe talk to someone that's local to see if you could grow garlic in raised beds. And then lettuce, green, spinach, they're all perfect choices for raised beds. They all do really well with me. The crops that I tend to plant in the ground are going to be my crops that take a lot more space that I don't want to waste space in my raised beds for. For example, corn. I like to grow a lot of corn. Now, last year, I did test growing corn in a four by eight raised bed and it worked well. I didn't get quite the pollination rate that I get when I plant a big planting in my ground beds. But So that's all to say it can be done if you want to use an entire raised bed for corn. I don't know that many people do want to use that for for one crop, but it can be done. So I put it in ground bed uh, ground beds. And then other crops like black-eyed peas where you need or shell beans where you really need a lot of them to be able to make a harvest worth it. I tend to put those in the ground. And then I do my melons in the ground just because I have let them sprawl. I'm thinking about doing a vertical thing for the first time next year with melons. I just haven't done it yet. But right now, I just let them sprawl in my ground bed. So I put them in, in the ground.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And really great points. I'm glad that you brought them up because I was going to mention when you do container gardens and raised bed, anytime that soil is, is up above, it does, which can be a benefit in the early spring especially if you're a cooler climate, because they do warm up faster. So in the early spring, they kind of have that benefit because usually you can get things to germinate faster than you would doing it in-ground just because the soil temperature is warmer and that usually increases germination rates and allows you to plant things earlier. So it's definitely a boon. But then when you get to the middle of summer, like you said, they do get hotter and they can dry out faster because they are up above and so putting in like warmer weather crops that like peppers and things, basil that really like that heat will do really well. But some of those cooler things might not do so well in the heat of summer in the raised bed as they would in ground. So I think it depends on the timing too. So if you do some spring gardening and you do fall gardening, you can kind of look at that aspect too. And for us, I'll speak to because I'm pretty much a garden zone six. And so we usually get our first frost mid-September If we're really lucky, it's the 1st of October for that hard killing frost. And then usually in the winter, we'll get down for a couple of weeks. We'll get down into single digits during the day and definitely over the night. But we generally don't stay at those here in the Pacific Northwest. So we have a lot of fluctuation actually in our temperatures here, even in the winter months. Like we'll have 40 degree days. And then all of a sudden, we'll get some cold spells where we'll be down in the teens and even single digits. And then in like three days later, we'll be back up at 40. So we have some big swings. And so I have done garlic in a raised uh, bed and it's done well because the drainage is good. But I also have done it in the ground. And you do want to make sure if you are in a northern climate and you're wanting to do something like garlic where it's going to be in the ground all winter long and you're doing it in a raised bed, that that raised bed or even container bed, because it will freeze more and it will be colder. One, that you mulch it even more so than you would when it's in the ground, We use straw on ours in the ground. But two, that that raised bed is in a more protected space. And so again, this is kind of that microclimating. So we had ours that was tucked up against the house, and the house acted as a wind block. And then it also was able to get some radiant heat from our house. And so it kept it a little bit warmer during the winter months than if it was a raised bed just way out in the middle of the yard that was getting the full brunt of all of the wind chill factors and was totally at the element. So there is a little bit of that too when you're thinking of putting them in. If you're wanting to do some of those winter crops in them and you are a lot colder temperatures or a lot more northern climate, if you put them in a little bit more protected area, then you will have a little bit better success, um, at least we did with our garlic. And we grew our garlic that way. I think it was for about three years before we enlarged our regular in-ground space. And now I just grow our garlic in-ground. But we did do it successfully in a northern climate. So hopefully those were more helpful for those of you who are more cold like I am. Yeah, and I think it's important too to test
1: it. I mean, if you have the ability to, to do a hybrid model or you might want to do a hybrid model... Just test it and see like last year with my broccoli, I planted some broccoli in a raised bed and I pr- planted some broccoli right beside it in the ground. And in my experience, the, the ones in the raised beds formed, a, formed much bigger heads and I harvested them quicker than the ones in the ground. And of course, who knows? I mean, I have some, some ideas of why that was the case, but I think it's good to test and see what crops do better in raised beds in your climate and what might do better in the ground.
0: Yeah, and I love that you did that. I am such a geek about garden testing right now. I'm testing half of my vegetable garden by doing the full wood chip method. And then the other half I have just how we normally have done it with our addition of, you know, composting and, and sheet composting in the fall and, and all cover crops and that type of thing. And it's gonna be a year or a couple years experiment, but I love doing those experiments and especially when you do half the crop one way and half the other way because then you know that it wasn't weather because they're obviously experiencing the same amount of weather that it was you know the actual growing conditions of the soil or raised bed as you said versus in ground so i think that it's really cool now did you have the same do you feel like it had the same nutrients that for the soil like had you amended the soils the same way in both the in ground and the raised bed you know, that's really hard to say, but and that is one thing that, that I kept
1: thinking in my mind. The, the location where I grew the broccoli in a raised bed, that, that had some really rich soil to it because I grow, grew the best tomato harvest ever, you know, right before that. And it just must have been very, very highly fertile. But the area that I grew in, in the ground, that's, that's one of my most fertile ground areas. I think, I think a difference probably is the, I would assume, that I'm still working on amending that clay content in my in-ground bed and just the compaction that, that is typical. I think that probably had more to do with it maybe than the fertility, but you know it's, it's a conjecture at this point. So sometimes you never know the why behind it, but you, it's still fun, like you said, just to test it and see what you find. Yeah.
0: And then and there's the results, right? Because amen, if you're getting it sooner and you're getting a larger harvest from it, then obviously you're like, okay, I'm going to stick and we're going to, you know, I'm going to throw all my crops in this bed and do it this way of, of this particular thing than the other because the results just speak for themselves. And sometimes you're not necessarily sure why that happens, but we go with, I'm a result-based person. So if the results are good, then obviously that's the way I'm going to do it the next year. So I love that you were doing the testing though. And I do think it's so important to test in your own garden as well. And not just, I mean, there are some best practices, obviously, like amend your soil, you know, use compost and make sure that your levels and everything are there. But sometimes there's nothing like testing it for yourself in your own garden, in your own growing conditions and seeing what works best. Because there's been things for me that have worked really well for other people. And then I test it here and I'll test it even within our own garden. I'm like, oh, that didn't really work as well as I thought it would you know, the other way worked better. So testing is super important. And the great thing is every single year, you're going to know more and more and more for your particular area and your soil and your gardening season, what works best for you and what doesn't. So thank you for sharing what's working well with you guys though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jill, let everybody know where they can find out more about you and your garden and that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. My website is journeywithjill.net. And obviously, if you guys are listening to a podcast, then you're podcast junkies like Melissa and I are, right? <laughs> so you can um, follow along at my podcast at the Beginner's Garden Podcast.
0: Awesome. Yes. And Jill has a fabulous presentation, you guys, inside the Organic Gardening Workshop. you're gonna, It's all on raised beds. And she goes so much more in depth and has so much amazing information. So if you are considering doing raised beds, you want to make sure that you jump in there and you watch that episode. It's so good. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, me too. I hope that you enjoyed that episode just as much as I did. And now we are going to jump over to our verse of the week portion of the podcast. And today I'm reading to you from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. This is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. For God is not unrighteous to forget or overlook your labor and the love which you have shown for his name's sake in ministering to the needs of the saints, his own consecrated people, as you still do. And I particularly love this verse and wanted to share it with you today because I have been battling this week with my own self over some choices that I made that not really so happy. They weren't necessarily anything super bad or catastrophic or huge. Just those little choices that we make throughout you know, our weeks and days. And as I was looking back on them, I was like, you know, that probably wasn't the best choice. And I kind of wish that I hadn't done that now. And I tend to be somebody... I am a overall positive outlook person. So I am usually that glass... She is half full and on her way to being all the way full and overflowing if it's not yet. That tends to be my normal outlook in most situations, except when it comes to my own personal mistakes, I have a tendency to think that God is going to have a hard time forgiving me. And boy, he must be tired of me making the same mistake, even though I sincerely don't want to do that anymore. The spirit is welling, but the flesh is weak. I feel that applies to me a lot. And even though I know that God forgives, he is a God of mercy, he is a God of love, he is a God of forgiveness. And when we are truly repentant and ask that our sins are separated from us as far as the East is to the West, like I know these verses, and I sincerely believe that the Bible is true. And I really believe it for other people. But honestly, if I'm really being honest, sometimes I have a hard time accepting those truths for myself. And I will beat myself up over mistakes that I have made, things that are long even been in the past. They will keep circling back in my mind and I will feel guilty for them and I will condemn myself, which is not from God. That's actually from the enemy. And so the reason that I shared this verse with you, because you you might be like, well, why on earth did you share this verse? If you're talking about all of that, But the reason that I picked this verse is because it really hit me this morning before I jumped on here to record this for you when I was doing my Bible reading and my devotional time that I always think in my head that God is looking at the things that I have done wrong. Now, I know that's not true, but that's just where I naturally tend to go. Something that I'm working on. But I love this verse because it says that He is not unrighteous to forget or overlook our labor and love, which we have shown. So he's not just looking at us to make a mistake and then to, you know, smack us and be like, okay, I was waiting for you to mess up because I knew you were going to mess up. And now you messed up. No, 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 no. That is not God at all. He does never forget when we have done a good thing. And he's looking and waiting for us to do those good things, those righteous things, those labors of love, even when we feel like sometimes that we are doing those good things and nobody else is noticing. And I know that we should not be doing good things just for other people to notice because that's a whole nother Bible verse. <laughs> but sometimes it feels like you are doing a lot of good and you are really doing things for love of other people and for the love of the Lord and sometimes you feel like Nobody is noticing, but God always notices. And that's what he is looking for. He's not waiting for us to make a huge mistake or even a little mistake or to to make a misstep. That's not what he's focusing on. He is focusing on the things that we are going to do right. And he's focusing on us with his love. He's not focusing on us with guilt and condemnation. So I needed to hear that message today. And so you might be like me and maybe you needed to hear it today too. And if not today, then may it serve you later on when you do need to hear it. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Pioneering Today podcast. I can't wait to be back here with you next week. And I do hope that I get to see you in some of the organic gardening workshop lessons and days. Okay, bye for now, but we will talk again soon.